as if you couldn't tell by the way that song started. The song is Monos, The Hands of Fate. It's from the band The Seatopians. They're a cool surf band based out of Boise, Idaho. And that song is from their album Underwater Ally. You can find them at theseatopians.bandcamp.com or you can just follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's the website for the podcast you're listening to right now, Monster Kid Radio, the program where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Where does Monos the Hands of Fate fall into that? Well, that's up to you to decide. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm your writer, host, producer, and welcome to the show. This time around, we are talking about Monos. It's going to be a very Monos the Hands of Fate heavy episode, so much so that I'm replacing a lot of the sound effects that we normally use with music and sounds from Monos the Hands of Fate. I think by the time this episode is over, you may be sick of Monos the Hands of Fate, but I hope not too sick because uh, the conversation that I'm having with Stephen D. Sullivan and Anthony Wendell about their various Monos projects, some that have already been completed and one that is in the works right now via a Kickstarter, well, I I hope you check those things out. We're going to talk with Steve and Anthony here in a second. Of course, we have Professor Frenzy's bedtime story as well, and Kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland. Why don't we go ahead and get into all of that right, well, now. Coming soon to this theater, a ghastly, ghoulish, and totally incredible motion picture. The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. This is Wandesa, queen of the vampires and Satan's favorite mistress. Werewolves and vampires will reign supreme, and things will happen that have never been seen by human beings. Your blood will boil and your flesh will crawl. No one can escape the vampires, and no one can run from the werewolves. If you can take it, see the most sensational fight to the finish ever filmed. See the werewolf versus the vampire woman. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. From the creative genius of Roger Corman, who brought to the screen Edgar Allan Poe's most shocking horror tales, comes the ultimate in blood-chilling screen experiences, The Terror, starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. You think I'm mad, don't you? In the role he was born to play, The Terror. Bedeviled by his own mad, all-consuming passions. With my own hands, I killed her. The terror. His evil, mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. 
If he resists, kill him. American International presents The Terror, starring Boris Karloff, dean of all horror demons, in this, his most demanding terrorization, The Terror, a film group production in color and vestoscope. This is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, the Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is The Strange Couple. It's from the Vault of Horror number 14, the August-September issue from 1950. It is written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Al Feldstein. So sit back and relax while I tell this nightmarish tale. It is a cold and rainy night, and a traveler is driving in the storm. There is a bridge washed out ahead, and he's directed along a pothole-filled dirt road. One puddle is bigger than he expected, and his car conks out. He's stuck for the night. He pulls his raincoat tightly around him as he prepares to sleep until the day. Suddenly, he sees a light in the distance. It's from a house. Maybe he can get help there. Maybe they can put him up for the night. The traveler leaves his car and heads towards it. The house is a creepy old place. He knocks on the door, and it's answered by a pitiful old woman. Go away, she says. He pleads with her. My car is stuck. I need help. It isn't safe for you, she replies. Let the gentleman come in, Hepzibah, says an old man from inside the house. The traveler ignores the old lady's warning and comes in. The old man, Fedor, goes into the basement to get them some wine. The woman warns the traveler that he's a vampire and he'll be bringing back a bottle of blood. Fedor returns and the traveler turns down the offer of the thick red vintage. His refusal angers the man, and he turns on his wife, whom he accuses of talking out of turn. He sends Hepzibah to her room. Fedor tells the traveler that his wife is actually a ghoul. When their dog died, he found she had dug up his grave and ate half of the poor creature. When it came time to go to bed, Fedor leaves to put the wine away. Hepzibah sneaks out of her room and tells the traveler to lock his door to the room to protect himself. When Fedor returns and takes him up to the room, he warns him to lock the closet because his wife could sneak through that way. Alone in the room, the traveler locks the closet door and puts the bed up against it. He then pushes a bureau in front of the room's door so no one can enter. He lays down to try to sleep when he hears a noise and a light stream into the room from the wall. There's a secret panel opening. Both Fedor and Hepzibah are there looking to fulfill their unholy desires and the traveler has trapped himself in the room. There is no escape. The traveler heard himself screaming, and it woke him up. He's in his car, stuck on the rainy road. It must have been a dream. As he shook the sleep off of him, he sees a light in the distance. He gets out, goes towards the light. 
He comes upon the same house, but tells himself, Oh, that's silly. It was only a dream. But his knock is answered by Hepzibah, telling him to go away, and Fedor encouraging him to come in. The end. I hope you enjoyed that sleepy little story. A stormy night, a stranded traveler, a creepy old house, all of these combine to be a classic spooky horror tale. Who does the protagonist believe? The vampire husband? The ghoul wife? Ah, neither of them. The basic concept of a horrifying dream becoming a reality is similar to Horror in the Night, also from the Vault of Horror, but two issues previous to this one. In that story, a motel owner dreamt about a mysterious couple where the wife turned out to be a murderously insane woman, and the next day the same couple actually showed up at the motel. This story is similar, but both the husband and wife are trouble. It's a heavy-handed but effective storytelling technique. The best part, though, is how the couple trick the traveler into trapping himself in the room. It's great stuff. The art is classic Feldstein. It's some excellent 1950s illustration comic book art. Faces are strong and full of character and in creepy shadows. Fedor looks demonic, and his wife looks like a female version of the Vault Keeper. They're both pitted against our all-American blonde-haired hero in a trench coat and fedora. It works great. If you're interested in a copy of The Vault of Horror Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed this story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics. And on the same feed, we have Memory Minute Monday, a nostalgia podcast, and also Frenzy Peace Theater, where we recap and discuss classic comic book stories. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. The night you meet the other you is the first night in the age of horror. Very well. I pleaded with you to let me leave in peace. But you refused. Now, look. I, Monster. Christopher Lee. Peter Cushing and Mike Raven add diabolical chills to the story of a man who made the trip to the other world once too often. Mr. Blake? Now for him, Earth is nothing more than a terror stop somewhere between hell and the other world. I, Monster, recommended only if your veins can stand the cold torment of evil. Not storybook evil, but the evil you may face this very night. I, Monster, the other you. I, Monster, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize, I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. 
Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. There are Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We are going to continue our issue-by-issue look at films covered in Famous Monsters with issue number 11 from April of 1961. This issue has compilation articles on Jekyll and Hyde movies and Poe-based films, but only one movie gets standalone coverage. A Basil Gogo's rendition of it roars from the cover. Gorgo, a British kaiju movie which gets a preview article in the pages of FM. The article is seven pages long and contains eight photos. The article begins with this quote from Czech paleontologist J. Augusta's book, Prehistoric Animals. The Earth, which is said to be a speck of dust in the infinite space of the universe and an obedient planet ceaselessly circling around the sun, is the cradle and grave of all the creation whose life is tied to it. From the time that life first appeared on the Earth, birth, development, old age, and death follow upon each other in a never-broken succession. Most people think of prehistoric animals in terms of the strange skeletons we see in our museums, but of course they once inhabited our earth, living out their lives in an environment as different from ours as they were themselves different from the animals we know today. The gigantic Gorgosaurus libricus was a carnivorous saurian that lived during the Upper Cretaceous. It rather resembled Tyrannosaurus rex, the king of dinosaurs. He was a savage colossus. The preview continues with a detailed look at the story, which includes this quote from the novelization written by Carson Bingham. The sea lifted up under the flickering procession of funeral boats, and the form that was neither water nor earth nor human reared into the air. Rooted to the spot, I stared at what seemed to be a huge, massive shape writhing out of the water. I could see the outline of a huge body some 20 feet away, My God, I cried, it's huge, as big as a house. The synopsis continues, spoiling the end, and then the article concludes with this. Gorgo is the most costly, time-consuming production the King Brothers have made to date, and 38 productions have rolled off their slate. 
The picture introduces the new process known as auto-motion, which makes the movements of the stars, Gorgos 1 and 2, extremely lifelike. If you like excitement and suspense with your movie monsters, we recommend Gorgo. Gorgo received full coverage during Monster Kid Radio number 259 with Tony Wendell. It was the 106th film covered by Derek and his fiends. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. I'd like to say that maybe I planned this whole thing with uh, Kenny and, and Tony about Gorgo and that episode of Monster Kid Radio and Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, but uh, we're just going to call it a happy accident and thank the master. Anthony Wendell is here on this episode. So, yeah, stay tuned. No motion picture of our time has ever unleashed shock spectacle of such scope and realism as up from the depths of prehistoric mystery rages, Virgo. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Yes, sir, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies and what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. Primal darkness, please let this Skype connection continue to hold so that we can continue this conversation with this week's guests, authors, friends of mine, monster kids, and kind of sort of fans of Manos. It's Stephen D. Sullivan and Anthony Wendell. How are you guys doing? Good. We are here at the call of the master. <laughs> holy art thou, holy art thou, holy art thou. <laughs> Bonus points of Steve, you're actually wearing your Monos robe right now. I am not wearing my Monos robe. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> well, you've got two Monos books out there, so you're ahead of both of us right now. I am. <laughs> yep, you are. I'm ahead of pretty much everyone in terms of Monos books. Well, there are some people that might be trying to catch up, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll even even Jackie's only got one Monos book out, and it's about... But she's oh. got a lot of other Monos material, I think. The little girl's <laughs> Monos, right. I mean, she she's, does. She's got tons of Monos oh, yeah. materials. She has way more materials. I only Were have... you actually trying to see if you could outcred Jackie? No. <laughs> who had more Monos cred? No, I'm pretty sure the not. little girl actually starred in the movie. I know. Oh, no, and I love her, too. I was just saying that there, there aren't a lot of people, so far as I know, that have more than one Monos book out, and I'm crazy enough to have two. Uh, maybe the guy that did the the actual overview of the the site itself he might have two monos books out 
maybe oh, that's more. That's right. Yeah, and I've got that and around I'm here somewhere. Completely spacing out on his name, which I am ashamed of because I I know him and like uh, uh, go upstairs and look at his DVD. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 let it kind of mull over in our brain uh, while we're chatting. We'll here. figure it out, and it'll come to us as soon as we stop recording. All I've got is two uh, two monos books and one micro game. So. There you go. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that, and I want to talk about what Anthony's up to as well, because I know he's got something very exciting. By the time this episode goes live, it will have already started, but I wanted to make sure that everybody in the Monster Kid Radio listening audience knows what's going on with one of our own, with one of our <laughs> favorite movies. Yeah. You know, oh, I, man. somewhere... During the writing of two two novelizations of it, if I hadn't fallen in love with it before, I did after, and it's like it's Manos, you know. I mean, there are a lot of worse movies in many many ways, even though it proudly carries the title of worst movie of all time. Well, it's just because it aims so high that it crashes so hard. It, try, <laughs> it tries to establish a mythology onto itself that few other films are actually able to do. And at the, at the same time, it almost it succeeds in some aspects. It does, considering you know it was like shot in sixty millimeter and silently and with a very very spare script. It actually it does fairly well for what it what it set out to do. I mean, if it had a full script and and actual good lighting and a real director and stuff, it could be more than a camp classic it could be a classic horror film it could be carnival of souls you know if it had had the <laughs> the kind of you, you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay you, you just wow Derek <laughs> laughed <laughs> wow um oh my i love monos okay i love it for a bunch of different reasons part of it because of well i mean you mentioned a bunch of them but carnival of souls is its own thing i i can never no i don't see it happening man i'm sorry you're telling me that if uh, if uh, if someone really competent had written the script out and we had the if you had the took the people that worked on Carnival Souls and gave them Manos to do, I think they would have produced another really good movie. I just I, I put Carnival of Souls in a much higher category. I hold that film in, in very high regard because it is one of those movies that I suppose could have had the same result that Manos did. Uh, oh, totally. Could. It's, it's just the people that were making that film knew how to work a film camera, knew how right. to do all the stuff because they, they had been making all these industrial and instructional films. They knew what they were doing. Right. Well, it's like the beast from the beginning of time. If you've seen that, which is a little scene, low budget film, but it was made by people that worked in TV studios and stuff. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that Manos gets wrong, they got right. It's really such a quantum leap up from there to have people that are skilled in these things working on them rather than just people that have an idea. You know, it's like if you watch any given Corman low budget film versus any other low budget film, the Corman one is pretty much 100% of the time going to be the better film because Roger Corman knows how to make films and he's a really good director. So even if he has no money, Little Shop of Horrors, we're shooting it, they shot that, what, in a weekend or a week or something? And it's it's delightful because the, t the talent behind yeah. the camera was equal to the idea. I mean, even something like The Terror, which by all rights, given how it was produced, had no business being as successful as it was. 
it's still a solid film. So yeah, I totally get it. I totally get right, what you're exactly, saying. Exactly. But at the same Manos time, uh, you know, Manos, despite not uh, being what Carnival of Souls is, Manos has achieved more than Carnival of Souls has. I mean, does Carnival of Souls have a video game based on it? Does it have uh, several sequels and Remakes? prequels? Oh, it was a prequel. It was like, I mean, and the documentary and, and numerous books, books. numerous yeah. books, wink, wink, nudge, nudge <laughs> out over at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Do we have that with Carnival of Souls? I mean, is there even a book out on Carnival of Souls? I'm actually wondering in general. I'm- so Candace Hillegas, who was the lead actress, she did release an autobiography, a memoir, which is really good. Uh, but I think what I find most interesting about that is that uh, is the material that she includes that has nothing to do about the production of Carnival of Souls. Carnival of Souls did get a remake, kind of, sort of, but I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't have the grip on so many people's imagination that Monos does. And I don't know, was Carnival of Souls even covered on Mystery Science Theater 3000? I know they could have. It was public domain. Carnival of Souls was actually... Uh, covered off of uh, Riff Tracks, the uh, publication that you know that what's come from uh, right. Mystery Science Theater, where the guys one of the have, spinoffs, uh, yeah, yeah, the spinoffs from uh, Fathom Events, and I saw it, but it was okay. It wasn't uh, one of the. It wasn't Space Mutiny or Time Chasers, but you know, <laughs> in terms of material, because it's hard to make fun of Carnival of Souls because of what it does. I mean, sure, it's scary in its disturbedness. You know, you know what I mean? It just, sure. it's Carnival right. Souls. It's an actual uh, creepy film. Yeah. It that, comes from the creep factor. The, the Carnival of Souls itself, what its most redeeming aspect is, is the inability to get comfortable with itself. With getting uncomfortable, you try to sympathize with the character who can't get comfortable in anything. And unfortunately, the only joke they could really make was she was a bland actress. Well, Agree to disagree. Yeah, she's a bland actress, but at the same time, she's being bland because her character in Carnival of Souls, I forget her name offhand, can't connect with anything. Basically, uh, she's got a molester down the hall as like her only contact. Her job isn't, despite being musical, isn't helping to enrich her. And she's got a denizen of the carnival insisting that she return. Right. So, yeah. The, yeah. the I think the difference in some ways is that Carnival of Souls is actual actually creepy. You get the creepy feeling when you're watching it. I mean, that's why it's memorable. It's like a, you know, it's like a Twilight Zone episode that just makes you kind of shiver and creeps you out. And Manos, those of us that have a love for Manos, mostly I think maybe love what it could be or what it was aspiring to rather than what it is. Does that make any sense? It totally does. I mean, oh, yeah. because of the a presentation and what they were going for, but didn't succeed with, with Manos, the fan canon is what resulted, the canon itself and the fan canon and fan fiction is what resulted in more projects after it. I mean, in terms of actually looking at it, it lays down an insane premise that, you know, basically a family who just by taking a wrong turn find themselves in a cult. I mean, you know, straight up cult of uh, people who are worshiping a dark Lord with a guy in a very interesting outfit. 
I right. Mean, it's it's a well, Satanist we... film, kind of before <laughs> Satanist films were all the vogue in a way. Sure, a very yeah, interesting I mean, outfit. I like that. <laughs> yeah, they hit everything early. I mean, you know, was there a cult film as well known before this? I mean, I think most of the oh no, the cults are gonna get us. Were more in the seventies, aren't they? Most of them, yeah. I yeah. Think, um, Horror Hotel was kind of earlier so there were there was definitely some a couple things you know devil rides out a few things devil rides but, out yeah and manos really does have that kind of gritty you know and I, I think it benefits from having been created by people who probably didn't know much about filmmaking other than they probably watched a few movies at one point in their life uh, right. <laughs> you know it, it does have an appeal to me you know as somebody who used to think he was going to be a filmmaker when he grew up. You know, it, it appeals to me because of that. I, I see a lot of what I would have done if right. I if given the opportunity. I would have been all over it, yeah. There's a lot of, hey kids, let's make a movie. Yeah. That you don't get in more polished things like Carnival of Souls or any given Corman film. I have so many uh, little video projects that I shot sometimes for school, sometimes for fun of me just getting my friends together saying, Hey, let's make a movie. You have a script? No, but let's just basically do this, you know, going all the way back to junior high school. I've got tons of these things sitting around here somewhere that are no better or worse than Manos. You know, there, there's just that <laughs> it, it just calls to me, uh, in a way that, transcends the quality of the film and and steve i do want to comment on something you said earlier about how it's the worst film of all time and i know that's not necessarily you saying that that's just what the movie's called all the time four right. words for people who say that fun in balloon land that's all i'm gonna say coming soon to your theater an enchanting fantasy of fabulous gigantic balloons and little children acting in your favorite. Do you want to have a good time? Of course you do. Then come to this most mystical, magical land, Balloon Land. See Sonny's adventures in Fun in Balloon Land. Which I don't think I've seen that, but, but there, are, there are plenty of other... You don't want to see that. You only yeah. need to see the trailer to get what it's about, and the trailer itself is pretty awful. Right. Or, two minutes of the, uh, <laughs> or two minutes of the cut to the parade. Mm-hmm. Where you have a woman, basically she, it looks like she's attempting to make like little puns and stories with every float that comes by, but she has no improbability whatsoever. It's, it's pretty <laughs> rough. It's pretty rough. Tick tock goes the clock. You run little mice. And you know, like she's trying to, like she's trying to both call out to, you know, you're uh, making me want to see this, right? <laughs> oh God, I am. Oh, God. Do not watch this without some kind of riff attached to it. The more you talk, the like more that. interested I'm becoming. <laughs> well, this is also a movie that was directed by somebody who had done nothing else. Joseph M. Sonneborn Jr., who I know absolutely nothing about. I've never really delved deeply into the uh, mythos or, or legend of this film, other than knowing that uh, Jeff Punkrock Martin at the Joy Cinema has played this movie not once, but twice for Weird Wednesday over the years. On purpose. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we back on Manos or Fun in Balloon Land? Oh, fun in Balloon Land. I don't think he's ever shown Manos. What? He should. He should. Well, there, yeah, there are reasons. Said, there are not, reasons. It is but. not. It has been declared the worst film over, ever made, and a lot of people think of it that way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it's clearly not. I think I probably mentioned before on the podcast that I, when I was doing uh, helping a friend write Video Hound's Dragon reviews of Asian cinema, 
where I wrote like 60 and he wrote like a thousand. <laughs> there was a Bruce Lee exploitation film that I saw that was so bad that I blocked the name of it from my memory. Somewhere in the book, it is like, this is the worst film I've ever seen. Is it the one but where he goes film- to hell? What? Is it the one where he goes to hell and meets Popeye and Clint Eastwood? No, I don't think that's that. Because that- See, even that premise sounds good. I just remember this one was just <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> badly shot. It was dark. It was just everything. I, I blocked it out. Whereas for Manos, even the first time I saw it on Mystery Science, probably, there's some interesting stuff there. There's, there's something kind of going on that's that's worth kind of pursuing, worth maybe doing more with, worth admiring. You know, if just in the, hey, kids, let's put on a show and we get everyone together when we do it. And it's better in that than a lot of films that are made in a similar kind of, hey, kids, let's, let's put on a show film. I mean, there's the uh, the other... Uh, the Bigfoot film that Jackie's in, Jackie Ray Name and Jones, who's the little girl and one of the stars of Manos. The Bigfoot film, which I'm forgetting the name of right uh, now. Isn't it like Legend of Bigfoot? I mean, it's pretty uh, generic, Legend right? of Bigfoot or something like that. And if, have you seen that? <laughs> I have. Uh, I've it's, watched it's both the regular awful. film. Curse of Bigfoot is what it's called. Curse of Bigfoot. Which Curse of Bigfoot. <laughs> she's in the wraparound sequence of a film that was actually not Curse of Bigfoot. It, it was something else. And then the filmmakers got a bunch of people together years later to shoot this like wraparound sequence and then re-release it as Curse of Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is Curse of Bigfoot. If, that film is a much worse film <laughs> in many ways than Manos is. Manos has there's something about it, man. You know, people are going to listen to this who've seen it once. They're going to think we're crazy. <laughs> Or at least I hopefully have seen it once. I mean, you know, we do things like this so we can spread the good word of the piece. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. it's, I'm looking at the IMDb page and it's got a rating of 1.9, which is not terrible. <laughs> it could be better. And I know at one point it had like a score of zero on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Okay, wait a minute. So Mono says 1.9. Yeah, on okay. IMDb right now. Fun in Balloon Land is 1.1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so it just goes to show there is a more there is a worse film out there. There you go. But there, there, go. there is something to be said about having people think you're the worst film of all time and claiming that title and holding on to it. You know, I mean, in some ways, Birdemic is a worse film than this. Well, and you get to movies like that, though, Birdemic or whatever, and those were intentional you know, they were intentionally kind of tongue Not sure if Birdemic was. You don't think so? <laughs> you don't think they kind of knew going into it that they really... Um, the interviews I've seen with the director and stuff, he seemed to think that it's a really good film. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you so, know, good I, I for him. He got paid. Got he, paid he had, more than anybody no, involved with Monos did. He got to do a sequel, too. <laughs> yeah. There's a pandemic sequel? Thanks. I think so, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure there is one out there. And he toured the United States showing it and stuff. So Okay then. You know, which is stuff that uh, you know, Hal Warren and, and uh Tom Damon and the and the rest of the crew never got to do with Manos, sadly. So yeah. they could now though. They could now and occasionally you know Well and Jackie does. She does. And yeah. I that's how I met her in person. She was down in Chicago doing the, the tour. And yep. that's how she and I actually got to meet in person after being friends online for a while. And just as a as a an aside, 
if anybody out there is running horror conventions or is involved in events, festivals, whatever, I know that Jackie is currently looking for things to do next year in 2020. So if you have a convention that you think having the lead and probably the number one advocate of Mono Sahansa Fate come to be a guest at, she's easy to find. Just reach out to her on Facebook. That's the best way to reach her, I think. Uh, let yep. her know because she is looking for things to do and she doesn't mind traveling from what I understand. So there no, you go. And she's, she's- She's terrific at these events. I've already uh, suggested Monster Bash. Whether or not they bite, I don't know, but I think it would be awesome. <laughs> come on, Monster Bash. Come through. Bring Jackie out for this She's next really year. a great lady. And yeah, uh, she is. another aside, there is actually a restored version from the film detective of Curse of Bigfoot. Wow. It's only 10 bucks, okay. and uh, you know what I'm going to be buying here shortly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's only 10 bucks. Is yeah. it on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can use the Amazon affiliate link. Because I'd oh, like to make a buck or two off that movie because I'm sure the filmmakers didn't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there's there's kind of this whole, you know, getting back to the what we were talking about in, in terms of Carnival of Souls versus Manos. Manos is, because it's in the public domain and because it's was branded the worst movie of all time, people have developed a love for it and there's kind of a whole little it's not big enough to be called an industry but a cottage industry certainly of people like the two of us doing manos things sure sure i mean carnival of souls doesn't have an all puppet remake of it manos the hands of felt right yes yes i really gotta check that out still (laughs) yeah no i I need to buy it and i I feel totally remiss now that i've remembered i have not bought it so maybe put that in the show notes too derek and we'll all manos out (laughs) oh yeah the show notes for this episode are going to be very manos heavy i mean even the song that we're opening and closing the song with is titled manos the hands of fate so it's going to be a very manos specific episode i do want to talk about some of the projects we've got coming up uh with you two but you know, there's something we do on every single episode of Monster Kid Radio. We got to deal with you two. You ready for it? The Classic Five. One of these days, I'm going to take that out, oh, auto tune yes. the heck out of it, and do something. <laughs> you totally should. <laughs> One of these days. If there are any you, music maybe. engineers listening right now, please get a hold of me because I'd love to work with you to make that a thing. All right. So, for listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which monster movie do you prefer? Style question. They're conversation starters, icebreakers. It's a way to just talk about our favorite subject, monster movies, with your fellow monster kids. There are no wrong answers. Steve, Anthony, are you ready to play? Let's do this. Let's go, man. Let's All go. Right. First question, what two giant monsters that never had a chance to go at it would you like to see fight it out in a movie? I've been thinking about this lately, and frankly, anything we could do to get Gorgo back in the spotlight would be good. I'm trying to think. So Gorgo fighting against uh, maybe the Gargantuas. Maybe we could bring back the whole, you know, the Gargantuas are uh, multiplying all over the place, and only Gorgo can step in and save the day. I like that. That would be cool. That would be very, very cool. Well, the, the really obvious answer is Godzilla and Gamera. Sure. Right? Yeah, but everyone knows that one, so I, I feel kind of... I'd love to see that. <laughs> but no. I feel kind of cheap going that way. So this just popped into my head as, as you were talking about. I love Gorgo. But how about we have Gauss versus Rodan? So we have oh. the two flying monsters going after each other. I think that could be just really wicked cool. Oh, I could see that. That'd be awesome. That would be fun. Who is the king of the skies? 
find yep. out this summer. Well, yeah. well, while you're having the King of the Skies find it out, for me, and I'm going to play along this time, I'm going to have the King of the Monsters fight it out because I want to have Frankenstein from Frankenstein Conquers the World fight a kaiju that appeared in Ultraman Tiga. Uh, it's a kaiju called Kaiuranos, I think is how it's pronounced. It's basically a 53-meter tall vampire bat. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I want a vampire bat monster and a Frank- the giant Frankenstein from Conquers the World. Oh, that'd be so much fun. I'm not familiar with the Ultraman series beyond the original Ultraman. And I know they're all coming out on Blu-ray in the next couple of months. So. And they're awesome, by the way. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, yeah. Orb and Seed on pre-order. Oh, yeah, man. And Ultra Q is amazing as well. We're getting way yeah, off track. Yeah, I just picked that up. So. I really yeah. need, I need to do some more Ultraman stuff here on the show. Stay tuned. Like, next when do we year, find coming. time to watch all this stuff? I know, There's well, so many movies. Oh. I mean, I just picked up the Godzilla Blu-ray two days ago. That's 15 films, man. I know, man. And I got Zatoichi with it. That's 25 films. We're crazy. Where we are, are we going to find the time, man? We just need to figure out how gonna... to get along without sleep. I was just about to say, I mean, sleep is our biggest uh, component. Right? It is. It's the, the nemesis of watching movies 24 hours a day. <laughs> that oh, work. No. No, well, work and, you know, having a relationship <laughs> with a wife or something, you know, whatever. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> wife, But if I could get you know. four less hours of sleep and watch four more hours of movies every day. Hey. All right, card number two, <laughs> question number two. Uh, you know, I'm just going to bounce back and forth. So, Steve, you get to go first. The Munsters okay. or the Adams Family? Ooh, this is a really tricky one. When I was a kid... I preferred the monsters because the monsters and the monsters are more monstrous. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, I completely prefer the Adams family. It's so witty and so clever. And I just recently saw the new animated version and I was worried that they were going to really ruin it, but it's still kind of ghoulish and delightful. And they're trying to, they're trying to kill each other, working on their knife throwing and this kind of stuff. I don't know. The Adams Family is just wicked cool. It's just a very hip thing. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember kind of the first run of both of them. And I'm wondering if the Munsters came out kind of after the Adams Family as a kind of knockoff of it, in a way. It was like, well, we can't do Charles Adams, but we have these monsters we could use. Well, TV-wise, I actually need to see more. I haven't seen the original Adams Family, so i got to go with the Munsters on that. But with the movies... I've seen enough of the movies that I appreciate them. I mean, I saw Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values, uh, one of the made-for-TV movies they had. I like uh, the Adam's Family just a bit more just because they're they're creepy, they're kooky, and it's true. You know, it's just like, you know, they look at all uh, what is normal, and they totally scoff at it. Meanwhile, the Munsters were trying their hardest to be normal. You know, the Munsters were always trying to just, you know, do things like helping Eddie with his uh, project at school and stuff. And yeah, they had a little more, they were kind of more aiming toward normalcy, even though that they still had, you know, the beautiful one was the ugly one and that kind of stuff, which it always seems to me that sentiment in Adam's family of kind of turning everything on its head was a little more genuine than it was in the monsters. Because, you know, it came out of the Charles Adams cartoon. Those early movies were good, and the new the new movie is good, too, for the Adams Family. So To answer a question you just had, Steve, both The Munsters and The Adams Family debuted in 1964. The Munsters and The Adams Family uh, both came out around the same time. The first episode of The Adams Family was September 18th of 1964. The first episode of The Munsters was a week later, September 24th, 1964. 
you got to think this was kind of a parallel development. I maybe. think so, too. Or somebody the other studio said, hey, they're doing something with monsters. Let's us do something yeah, with monsters. Throw something into, yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, I'd have to pick the monsters just because of Uncle Gilbert. Because, <laughs> you know, there is a creature from the Black Lagoon character that shows up. So, yes. you know, I got I to gotta go to that. So, listeners, I'm going to ask you to stay tuned because in December... Dan December, I have author Jim Beard on the show, and we're going to talk about some stuff. But when we played the Classic Five with him, he also got this question, and he made some really interesting points about uh, the relationships in both families. And it's really cool. I don't want to talk too much about it now because I don't want to spoil that conversation, but he makes some really interesting points. So stay tuned for that. Can't wait to hear it, although maybe I can guess what some of them might be. Well, uh, cool. we'll talk off mic or you'll just have to listen like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to listen like everybody else. I don't want to spoil it, man. All right. Card number three. Question number three. What's your favorite non-Lon Cheney werewolf film? Back to Anthony. That's so hard. Oh, I mean... I want to say Frankenstein meets the were- Frankenstein versus the werewolf, or is it meets the werewolf? Well, Frankenstein meets the werewolf is Lon Chaney as the werewolf. Yeah, so I gotta go. I gotta. Isn't that the one where the famous uh, wine song is? Yes. It is, but but the question, meets the wolf, I think man. it's got to be that one for me because it really cements how the biggest uh, draw of the universal multiverse was looking at Talbot and his torturous past. Especially considering he was like the biggest staple throughout the entire series. You know, even the idea of someone jokingly being revelant in the idea of we'll live forever is just like, no, no. I, <laughs> Why I would you say that to me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's a great character moment. The, the question was non-lawn werewolf films but you know what let's just say favorite werewolf film other than the wolfman oh, and no no no, no oh, it's fine I the non-part i missed the non-part oh no worries no worries i i liked where this went because frankenstein meets the wolfman <laughs> is one of my favorite films as well i love the resurrection sequence that's a great film so that's probably yeah, what i would pick as well what would you say steve well i i would pick that too if we're just going a a non the wolfman favorite werewolf film but i'm going to kind of veer toward the original question and say well we're just going to um, make the original question the fourth question so okay <laughs> <laughs> oh okay all right uh so my favorite wolfman film other than the original wolfman is, is definitely frankenstein meets the wolfman i have a, a copy of the the script of it that i picked up recently and i'm looking forward to reading it and seeing all of the lines of bela lugosi's frankenstein monster that they've cut out right so, i love that film but he doesn't understand there's a curse upon me i change into a wolf listen to me i saw my father become obsessed by his power he died a horrible death there's no need for us all to storm after her she'll come in if i ask her why should we treat her so fancy she's a frankenstein I think I've said this before in a different question. It's my favorite Universal sequel. I prefer it over anything, including Bride of Frankenstein and, and Revenge of the Creature, both of which I, I totally love. So Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman for Lon. Okay. So, yeah, let's just say the fourth question is your favorite non-Lon Chaney werewolf film. And back to Steve. All right, back to me. I was thinking about this, and I love The Howling. I haven't seen The Howling in ages. I love The Howling, and I'm, I'm torn between The Howling, 
which I prefer to American Werewolf in London, though I haven't seen that in ages either, and I probably should rewatch both of them. But I'm also torn between those and some of the Paul Nashie films. And the trouble with the Nashie films, and the reason that I'm going to rewatch them very soon in order, is they have a lot of different titles for the same film. <laughs> so there's like Howl of the Devil and the Devil's Curse and that kind of stuff. I think among my favorites of the Nashie films is the one that I was originally called Walpurgis Night, which is one of his werewolf films. And I think that, is that Howl of the Devil? I don't remember. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Night of the Walpurgis, Walpurgis Night from Paul Nashie in the Nashie Valdemar Daninsky werewolf. Okay. What about you, Anthony? You got one? I personally am always one to give credit to the Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie. Okay. Well, especially considering, you know, what we got with uh, Dracula Untold, where it seems like they were trying too hard to build their own cinematic uh, universe. Mm-hmm. At least, I know it wasn't as good as some of the other things we've experienced, but it still felt like they were putting heart and creepiness to it. Producers seem to be at least trying to obtain atmosphere. I picked that up on Blu-ray recently, and it is on my short list to rewatch because I don't think it's it matches the original one up to the original one. But I there's enough there that I that's pretty cool that I think it's worth seeing again. The score is fantastic. Uh, it's phenomenal, and I listen to the score quite a bit. That, that's right, my takeaway. I have some Nashy clearing up here. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to go back and. Yeah, go ahead. Nashi did like, I don't know, eight, nine, some odd werewolf films. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there are two of them, one of which is La Noche del Walpurgis, uh, Walpurgis Night, and the other one is El Retorno de Walpurgis. <laughs> the Return of the Walpurgis, or Walpurgis Night. The first one, Noche del Walpurgis, is Werewolf versus the Vampire Women in English. And that's a terrific... Now, that one's in the public domain, I believe, isn't it? Isn't that like and, one of the few? Yeah, at least some prints of it are. Yeah. I think there, I think there's a Blu-ray of it out, but I'm not entirely sure. The other one, uh, El Retorno del Walpurgis, is Curse of the Devil. And it's a kind of a similar one. And that's the one that I... Th- think is my favorite but when you have two <laughs> two werewolf films that both go by multiple different titles one of which both of which started out as something of the walpurgis walpurgis night what you gonna do <laughs> you gotta watch them all in order and, and like figure it out for good so i think curse of the devil el Returno de walpurgis is the one that i prefer of those two okay but i would swear <laughs> So I I do want to come back to the Paul Nashy thing here uh, in a little bit, uh, just because there there is some news I'd like to share regarding that. Cool. So, you know, I would probably go with something like, I love I Was a Teenage Werewolf uh, quite a bit. Uh, and then, of course, Werewolf oh, of yeah. London. Werewolf of London is fantastic as well. So, But of the two, I'd probably go with I Was a Teenage Werewolf if I were to pick one right now. It might change tomorrow. Yeah, I'd love to have a, a great DVD or Blu-ray copy of that. Oh, I, yeah, I know. We don't need to get into that, but it's it's a terrific film and deserves to be released in modern media. Yep. So, okay. Final question. Final question. Final card. Who else should have or could have played 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Anthony, we'll go to you. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm blanking here. Oh, I know. It's like everyone I can think of that's like easy would be like, oh, Christopher Lee. Oh, wait, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he did. Paul with uh, oh, I'm Madman, right? Oh. Paul Nashy. Oh, wait, he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm Madman with Christopher Lee. And it's like, act- oh, wait, it's I actually just thought of this because I kind of would want to s- I would want to see it recently. John Cryer. Oh, I say that because for those that uh, will probably know him as uh, the uh, father from Two and a Half Men. But have you, have you two been watching Supergirl? Yes. Uh, I have not, but he's been on that, right? Did you right? see last season when he was uh, playing Lex Luthor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Derek, you didn't see it yet, but no. personally, he's like top five list now of uh, Lex Luthor's. Wow. He, there's a scene where his plan's unfolding and he's betraying his uh, not Russian, totally the Russian enemies to uh, <laughs> make, to look to make it look like he's the hero of uh, the world. He's flying around in his, uh, in his, you know, totally looking like Iron Man uh, mech suit that he uses to fight Supergirl and Superman. The whole time he's blowing away ships, blowing away the enemy. He's singing uh, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that ability to just totally uh, grasp uh, Lex Luthor's demonic nature mixed with how we've seen him uh, act like a bit of a goober with uh, Two and a Half Men. Just just think about his ability to wave back and forth between, uh, you know, the sensible Dr. Jekyll and the maniacal Mr. Hyde. And it's just like, you know what? That would be awesome to see. Well, you know what? Just keep it in the Superman wheelhouse. He's Lex Luthor on Supergirl, and he was Lenny Luthor in Superman 4, Quest for Peace. Ah, uh, so- yeah. Maybe that's how he got the Wow, that, that's that's a really interesting idea. I, I like that idea a lot. What do you got, Steve? You know, it's funny. If, for a couple of minutes, I was thinking, oh, Ralph Bates would have been a great Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Except then I realized Ralph Bates was <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, which is he transformed into Martine Beswick. There's an upgrade for you. <laughs> so that doesn't really count. Then I'm like, oh, my God, what, what can I think of? And I just watched Asylum fairly recently oh that's good yeah it's really good and i hadn't seen it for a long time and i barely remembered most of it and in asylum there's an actor who's famous for television show work including space 199 and the fugitive and it just right now it just popped into my head that barry morse who was the implacable lawman in the fugitive based on the really cool character actor portrayal he has in Asylum, I think he'd be terrific as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Hmm. That does sound good. I think he could totally have pulled that off. Okay. So, weird choice, and if I hadn't seen him in something recently, I might not have gone for it, but I was thinking, oh, Peter Cushing? I was like, yeah, I don't know if we need to see Peter Cushing as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but oh, oh, but Barry Morse and Peter Cushing were so good in the Asylum. So, yeah, I'm going with Barry Morse. So when I answer these questions for myself, I typically try to stay within the, the classic horror wheelhouse. I don't mind if other people go out, but you know, normally I try to stay there. However, when Anthony mentioned John Cryer, my brain kind of unlocked. It's like, okay, well, what about modern actors and such? 
I'd like to see somebody who can physically shape their body in different ways to not just perform the lines differently, but have his body perform differently as well. So I'd go with Doug Jones. I was there just about go. to say, are you, are you going toward, you're going toward the Doug. I am, <laughs> man. Doug Jones, man. I think that would be really interesting. Always a good choice for any kind of monstrous kind of thing going on. You know, it would have been interesting if Lugosi had gotten to play Jekyll and Hyde. I think he probably would have been really good at that. And I, I'm racking my brain, but I'm pretty sure he never really did. I think the closest he got was the Ape Man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There is that. But yeah, Lugosi might have been really good if you're if you're looking for classic people. All right, so that was the classic five. We were well, we were already warmed up before, but now we're even we're, we're hot now. We're we're ready to to really totally. dive into Manos. And I, and I want to ask both of you: Do you remember how you first saw Manos? Was it through MST3K? Was it through some other way? I'm sure it was MST3K for me because we started watching that. Uh, that was right around the time our kids were born. So my wife and I would be up late at night watching MST3K, taking care of the little kids. And stuff, and so we we watched it pretty continually, from I think almost the moment it started on Comedy Central until it went off, until Sci-Fi started goofing with it and moving around, and we lost track of when it was. So I'm entirely sure that unless there's some part of my deep dark past that I blotted out and I saw it somewhere, it's got to be MSC3K for me. It was uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 for me. Okay. How about you, Derek? I think it was that for me, too. You know, I don't think it was really in the pop culture, really beyond anything MST3K. MST3K really did everybody a service by putting that in the spotlight the way that it did. I don't think Huge it really, service. Oh, yeah. I don't think it would really have the, the cultural gravitas that it has now uh, without that happening. Which is great. I mean, that's the one thing that MST3K is good for, you know? I mean, I know I go back and forth on it. There's a lot of, you know, do you like it? Do you dislike it? Whatever. Without it, we wouldn't know about a lot of these movies. So thank right. you, Joel and company, for making that happen. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I love Mystery Science Theater 3000. I've, I've loved all the incarnations of it, and I've I've seen it. But sometimes they, they pick on good movies. Sure. <laughs> Manos is not one of them, but, you know, it happens. And sometimes you can let that go, and sometimes you're like... Oh, come on, guys. Why did you choose this island Earth? <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on that one. Uh, you know, while we've been chatting here, and not that I normally have a messenger window open while we chat, but I just heard back from the band The Seatopians. Just wanted to confirm that they're okay with us playing their music in this episode. I'm just pretty sure they were okay, so let me do it before. Uh, they said the timing couldn't be better because he's actually uploading a music video for their song, Monos the Hands of Fate, right now. So there must be something in the air. It's fate. Hands of fate. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, we've got this music video that's going up. We got this song. We talked about a puppet remake. And we've been talking about the novels. Steve, what prompted you to write not just one, but two versions of the film? Yeah, and Why? one of them won, won a literal major award. <laughs> right? I've been writing novels for a long time. I worked in games, role-playing games uh, mostly, and other games for a while. And then I did comics for a while. And then I got out of comics and moved into novels because if I wrote novels, I didn't need someone to draw them to actually get them released, which ended up being kind of a problem in comics. I'd come up with some great idea and 
could never get a, an artist to turn over the stuff in time to get a pitch in. Oh, Anthony and I have talked about that recently. So yeah, <laughs> I understand. It's, it's always a problem. Well, I mean, writing is writing is hard, but it's a much faster process than drawing comics pages. So I understand it. Um, you know, having drawn a couple of comics myself too. So it's understandable, but it also gets frustrating when you're like, okay, if I get this, this uh, Animal Man pitch in in time, it'll go. And oh, okay, it's not happening. And oh, Grant Morrison's got it. You know, <laughs> I had a lot of like near misses that way in my career, which was very frustrating. So I turned to writing novels because I could do it, and then it, I could shop it around or get it released or whatever. And a number of years ago now, I started a small publishing company so I could have released some stuff that that I was interested in and, and I was totally failing and getting New York publishing houses interested in. And while I was keeping writing things, you know, like I wrote an adaptation for the first Iron Man movie and I wrote an adaptation for Thunderbirds and I did a whole bunch of boy detective stories. So I did a lot of license work, work that it, in the end didn't pay me a lot of money on the back end because it was controlled by someone else and eventually even the stuff that you get a royalty on like my Dragonlance work they put the books out of print then suddenly you're not earning any royalties on on that work which you were hoping would be annuity so i decided at some point you know 7 10 years ago a while ago now that it would be good if i were releasing my own stuff and it would be good if I could draw some people from existing markets into maybe looking at my own work. And I decided that one of the ways to do this would be to do novelizations of public domain movies. The first one I did was White Zombie. Zombie! From award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan, White Zombie, a new novel based on the classic motion picture. What do you see? Neil asked. Madeline peered into the wine glass, pretending to be a fortune teller. And for a moment, her head reeled. She did see something within the depths of the cup. Terrible dark eyes staring up at her, boring into her mind. The eyes of that awful man they'd encountered in the road. You see? She felt dizzy now, really dizzy, and her throat was tight as if cold hands were closing around her neck. What is it? Neil asked, concerned. The eyes burned into her. She couldn't breathe. I see, she managed to gasp. Death. Available now in print and all ebook formats. And then after doing that one, I thought, well, one is kind of a fluke, and yes, there are people finding that, and it's good. Maybe I should do at least one more. And what should I do? And Banos popped into my head as something that's a it's public domain work, so I can I can actually do work based on it. Right. So wait, so it's so, so hold on. You started with White Zombie, and you're like, well, how can I do better than that? How can I top White Zombie? I know Manos. <laughs> you have to follow my thinking here. My I know, I know. I'm the, just the White Zombie you. is a classic film. Yeah, and so people that are looking for classic work are likely to find it. And then I thought, what is getting a lot more eyes and is building attention right now? And at the time, you know, a couple of years ago, it seemed to me that Manos was really, was expanding in terms of the public consciousness. People were becoming really interested in it. I sat down and my plan was, 
that I was going to write a very serious adaptation of Manos. What if Manos were an actual scary novel in the tradition of, oh, say, H.P. Lovecraft with a little more modern Stephen King sensibility? As I was starting to work on uh, Manos Talents of Fate, which is the scary version, the little light bulb went off in my head. Ping! Wait a minute, Steve. You're going to write a very serious book for an audience that thinks Manos is a, some kind of a, a weird, low-budget comedy. And at that point, <laughs> I was like, well, what do I do now? And I thought, well, I'll start the other one. I'll, I'll start writing a funny version of Manos, a version that's kind of snarky. It's told from the point of view of, a, of a, uh, an evil being from another dimension, and it's going to kind of incorporate all the kind of little witty pokes at the absurdity of what happens in the story that you might get on a Rift Tracks or, or an MST3K. But part of me still wanted to do the scary one as well. So in some moment of supreme madness, <laughs> I decided it would be a good idea. Well, why don't I just do both? I could do both. <laughs> little realizing that that would trap me into living with Manos for far longer period of time than is safe or sane for anyone, save maybe Jackie Ray Namath Jones. So, so what is and, it that you can never leave? Is that is that <laughs> you can never right, leave Valley yeah. Lodge. Okay. <laughs> there is no way out of here. Exactly, <laughs> right? Would not approve. <laughs> <laughs> the the straight adaptation, the one that was a little bit more on the silly, you know, really kind of goofing on the film side. That's the one that won the best adapted yes. novel of 2000, was it 16? 16. The Scribe yeah. Award. Yeah. The Scribe Award, which is a, an award that is given as an international group of writers of tie-in novels. And that year was the year that uh, there was a Batman novel and a Star Wars novel and Crimson Peak and a couple of other things that I don't remember. There were anything that was tied into a movie or television show that year was potentially up against Manos. And it narrowed down to five things and Manos was one of them. And much to my surprise, I managed to to actually win the award. <laughs> That's pretty For darn best cool, novel man. Out of all the tie-in novels in the world that year, and uh, <laughs> which is delightful and wonderful and absurd, and um, and all props to not only to Hal Warren and, and those people, but to Matthew Buckholz of Alternate Histories, who did the screenplay adaptation that I then licensed and adapted my book from which made it eligible for the scribes because normally public domain stuff is not eligible. But because I licensed the root of where, uh, where I got my novel from, I was actually eligible to win and won that year, which <laughs> it still delights me. It's <laughs> the idea that the worst movie of all time is now an award-winning book. <laughs> exactly. And you were, so I was just double checking the other books on the ballot that you were up against star Wars, dark disciple, crimson peak, Batman Arkham Knight by Marv Wolfman, for crying out loud. And then uh, the adaptation of the movie Backcountry. Manos beat Batman and Star Wars. And a book that had Del Toro's hands all over it. So, I mean, and that's Del amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. And and I think that just Kudos, speaks to the power man. of Manos. Yeah, I know, right? It's the power of Thanks. Manos. <laughs> totally the power of Manos. That's so, how it happened. Manos the Hands of Fate and then Manos Talents of Fate. 
They're both available now. Again, links in the show notes. You can get them for Kindle, uh, so e-reader, and then they're also available as paperback editions as well. And please use the link that I post so that I can make a buck or two off of Steve's work as well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I make some money. Derek makes some money. We all go home happy. There we go. There we go. Now, I don't know how many other Monos books there are out there that are, are straight fiction. I mean, I know there are, like, the locations of Monos, and then, of course, Jackie's right. amazing book, Growing Up Monos. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of Monos-continued fiction. I mean, there, there are other movies. There's a sequel. Uh, there's a remake currently in development right now by Johnny Johnson. I think there are two sequels, although I don't know if the second one is out, right? But what I'm getting at is I want more books, more fiction. <laughs> I see a nice segue going Yeah, on. there you go. Can, can you help me out here, Anthony? <laughs> yes. What Derek is talking about, listeners, is uh, a project that I will be launching on November 15th, a.k.a. Manos Day, in celebration of uh, the original Manos coming out. November 15th, I'll be launching a novel I am calling Santa Claus Conquers Manos the Hands of Fate. <laughs> Wherein I take two of the, again, air quote, worst movies ever made, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and Manos the Hands of Fate, and I tie them together into a sequel, picking up where each left off. Little Betty is worried about her friend who is going away with her family to the Valley Lodge for a holiday, so she calls her friend Santa Claus to investigate (laughs) the disappearance of Debbie and her parents by a mysterious being known only as the Master. Wow. I am thrilled at this. Uh, Anthony has been writing for a long time. He's been a columnist on various websites. He's the man behind the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack. And he and I have spoken quite a bit uh, through like Facebook Messenger and off mic and all that about the different writing things that you know both of us are kind of going through and all that and trying to get things done. And when you first mentioned this to me, Man, I wanted to scream it from the mountaintops. I thought this is the best thing ever, but I didn't want to, you know, spoil it or anything. I've been just eagerly waiting. It took a while to get the project in motion. I first tried a big publishing house, and uh, I got some good feedback that they liked uh, my work, and, you know, they could see a lot, a couple agents, actually. It was a mixture of when I was going between both looking for an agent and looking for uh, regular publishing with Manos, and I uh, ended up eventually not coming to anywhere I liked. When I realized traditional publishing wasn't the best way to go with Manos, I decided, you know what? Manos lived and died by the fans. I'm going to try to see if it'll live and die again. (laughs) So that's why I'm starting a Kickstarter in an effort to try to get the book out there. And it's not just for the publishing aspect. I'm also doing it because I found a very, very gifted artist uh, by the name of Tom Hoskison, H-O-S-K-I-S-S-O-N. Okay. Yeah, and I've uh, commissioned his work for a cover and two of the chapter insert pictures. But to be able to get it all done... To have him do all the work for all the insert pages, I'm going to need to make sure this Kickstarter works. And the only way it's going to truly be able to come to flourishing and uh, materialize is through the help of the fans. Well, there are a lot of Manos fans out there, and hopefully 
a lot of mono show with mm-hmm. the show and Facebook and that kind of stuff. Hopefully, you can rope a lot of us into into doing this. Have you set? Uh, do you know what the your goal is going to be or any of that kind of stuff yet? Yeah. Do you have any perks laid out? Yes, I do. Bottom line, it's going to be five thousand for everything. That gets it published. It pays the artist off and okay. uh, should pay for any incidentals, including shipping it out to people. Oh, but okay. I've got it planned uh, kind of low in terms of PDF and physical copies. Those are both under uh, 30 bucks. Contribution will guarantee you'll get a PDF and a physical copy of the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if I reach uh, a certain goal, I will work on uh, getting shirts made. <laughs> and if it gets even farther, maybe I'll have... I'll, even work on getting the podcasting community together and we'll see if we can't turn it into some kind of an audio drama. Oh, cool. Well, 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 you've not mentioned that to me yet, sir, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something we need to talk about because you know I'm in. <laughs> you know, again, this is the this was the farthest reaching one, reaching goal, but it was just like, in terms of where I could take the project, I was just like, let's see if how much people want to go, how far people want to go with this. Sure. Cool. Well, I am currently on uh, Tom Huskisson's art page. Uh, he's an Australian artist, and he has posted here, and Anthony shared it with me as well, the cover. And oh, cool. And it is amazing. I'm assuming it's okay to include it in the show notes, Anthony. Oh, of course, yes. Are you done with the writing, or where are you at in terms of the, the story? I have a draft. I'd prefer people to look over it like one more time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or goes to publisher, but otherwise, part of the fee is I'm actually going to pay for the editing just to be on the absolute safe side to make sure what goes to people's hands is quality work. That's wonderful to hear, man, that you're actually ticking off all the boxes to, to quote unquote do this right. You're paying the artist, you're paying for editing, you're making sure it's all getting taken care of. Kudos to you. Plus, I mean, you're even taking shipping into consideration. And as somebody who's done some crowdfunding things, I know that one of the pitfalls that sometimes creators run into is not accounting for what's it going to cost to get everything to everybody. So right. that's, you know, you've really thought this out. So that's, the why, master it's a, that's why it's a little bit more pricey than just, you know, getting it published. Uh, Kickstarter could be, but this is no uh, light undertaking. I want to make sure everyone gets what they're promised and make sure that uh, nothing is left to chance. Cool. The master approves, man. I'm sure the master so will approve. I'm assuming this this is not a uh, a dark Lovecraftian story. Am I right? Well, first <laughs> off, uh, talking about the master approves, I need to mention first that I have a foreword written by Miss Jackie. Oh awesome. yeah, and she, she's great, I, isn't she? We love. Oh, she Jack. is a she is a fantastic lady. But uh, yes, it's uh, it's more on the schlock side because you know. Uh, Santa Claus is, you know, attempting to stop Manos, the evil demonic creature from taking over the world, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't tone it down when it came to what Manos was in terms of the darkness and the evil that's in there. I mean, one of the hardest parts of the book was, you know, my first chapter is basically, you know, a continuation where Santa left off. But the second chapter is a summary of where Manos left off. And it's just like, once you actually take the time to summarize Manos in terms of what played out, that is dark. I, that's why I did the serious book because it's like, there's just some twisted stuff going on in Manos. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how you meld 
Mel but, uh, yeah, so I put I put it into a dark spot, but from there I think there's a little bit of there's a lot of humor. I have found a way to do pop culture references for a time there isn't pop culture. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's just put it this way. I have Torg the robot from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians now with an eight track player in his chest. <laughs> okay then. I I am looking forward to this. Do you have any idea in terms of like length or word count, or is that too early to tell at this point? Basic story is about fifty thousand. Okay. But I've also added a uh, Kickstarter participation amount. If you donate a certain amount, you will be allowed to write a couple sentences about what Manos means to you. Ooh, okay. Cool. Okay. I hope the bar's not too high on that because I might be interested. <laughs> Can you keep it to just a couple paragraphs, so, Steve? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I can, if I have to. I love that you're combining these two schlock you know, masterpieces, really, and, and turning them into basically a shared universe-type story. Is this the beginning of a public domain shared, a PDSU, so to speak? <laughs> One thing at a time. Let, let's see where this goes first. Uh, let, you know, let's make sure this project uh, gets off the ground, then we'll see what else we'll do. You know. So you're taking the Marvel approach as opposed to the DC approach? Easy there, easy. Yeah, let's, go, let's, call, let's call it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I am thrilled, man. This this is pretty exciting stuff. You know that you're it's doing awesome. this. Uh, you know, again, links in the show notes to everything. The Kickstarter campaign and how long will the campaign run for? Uh, the standard uh, 30 days. Okay. So this episode will come out after the campaign has started, uh, just because of timing and everything like that. I wouldn't ask you to hold it any longer, because uh, you are releasing it on Mono's Day, and I think that's fantastic. Right. Yeah, the uh, link's in the show notes, everybody. By the time this episode goes out, I'm sure you will have seen uh, some success there. I know I'm going to kick in. Uh, just you know, I'm pretty selective about what Kickstarter campaigns I get involved with now, and well, you know I got to be involved in this one, man. Right, and how can I resist? <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. It's at the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval, my friend. All right. Got that thing early. Yeah, for what that's worth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, we've got these books that are already out, an amazing book that's coming. You know, Monos is just forever. There's just so much going on out there in, in the Monoscape right now. And, you know, I'm so happy that some of my good friends are involved in that you know i got you two and chris mcmillan wrote an audio drama that at some point he and i are going to produce steve you've got a, a mini game that you run at various conventions wearing the monos robe you know i've had jackie on the show a couple of times i'd like to have her on the show again in the future i'm ecstatic that she's writing a forward for you has she already written the forward oh yeah she has uh, i had it before actually as part of a, uh, when i was selling out looking for a publisher oh when okay. i was sending it out looking for a publisher but uh i tried to use that as uh to showcase <laughs> you know the how the manos community would be more than willing to get involved in this but unfortunately that didn't pique anyone's interest mm. well you know i mean the publishing if your name isn't stephen king or someone similar it's a very rough time to be in to try to make it in big publishing right now it's just they're very risk averse and they're very focused on repeating past successes and it's frustrating but that's why it's we're it's wonderful that we're in a 
a situation now where there are the tools for those of us that know what they're doing. You can bring out a book without having a New York publisher, and you can get it out on Amazon and other places that people can find it. It's great that we're living in times that we have those opportunities that just 10 20 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, and even 10 years ago, we didn't really have the opportunity to run with a book yeah. that we feel strongly about that maybe is not in the current, ooh, trendy. And if you're not that, you're kind of out of luck. But not now. Now there are other ways to get our work into the hands of people that will like it. And that's great. Going back to what you said about not being Stephen King, Steve, I got to say, do, do you ever get really annoyed when someone says there's no new ideas in Hollywood? Because <laughs> you're, you're just there because you know the truth. So like, there's great ideas all over the place. It's just too many people are scared to spend their own money. Right. If you think you have to do another remake of it, maybe you do. Maybe that's the most financially viable thing. But in terms of no new ideas, well, I've got a whole bunch of books. You know, I've got a, a four-book Tournament of Death series that's, that's available if you want to do your uh, Game of Thrones kind of thing. You don't have to do another Game of Thrones. You could could look at that you could look at you like giant monsters you don't want to do godzilla you can look at daikaiju attack yeah i'm just talking about my own stuff but steve if they did tournament of death they do four seasons they get to the fifth season where you don't have any other books and they just ruin it (laughs) well (laughs) you know i mean you you mentioned game of thrones (laughs) i did that was certainly a possibility though i actually liked the last seasons of game of thrones i thought they did all right with them and i know Uh that's a controversy I know that's a controversial thing to say, Um, but yeah, there is always, I'm willing to have them throw money at me to create a fifth season of Tournament of Death, even though I wrapped it up in four. (laughs) If they want to do five seasons, send me the money. (laughs) Send me the money. I'm more than willing to to consider it. So we've talked about Monos. We've kind of talked for over an hour now and, uh, you know, maybe even longer than the movie itself runs. <laughs> I want to start winding down here. Any final thoughts on Monos? Yeah. The people that were making it were really sincere about doing it. And that shows through even in the fact that it's in many ways incompetent filmmaking there are still good things in it. There are certainly enough ideas to inspire people like Anthony and me and Jackie, who had obviously a very minor part in the original, and just a whole load of people, the Matthew Buckholz of Alternate Histories, to do really cool and interesting work based on this. But there's also performances within Manos that are really worth talking about, and one of them is Tom Naiman, is the master, who's uh, pretty terrific as, you know, in his theatricality and, and his sense of menacing evil. There's John Reynolds as Torgo, who is, you know, there. I posed this to my wife one time, it's like, John Reynolds, bad actor, or kind of brilliant and undiscovered. And we were both leaning toward kind of brilliant, undiscovered, because he He's doing a lot of interesting stuff, and clearly they're putting their hearts into it. And I think that probably more than anything else, the fact that there is a lot of heart in this quote-unquote bad movie is what has attracted a lot of us to it. Manos uh, was a forgotten classic. I mean, wasn't the story going something about a box of uh, films were just sent to the guys and they just happened to choose it? 
they didn't realize what they had found. And then once people actually saw it, they're like, hey, there's more to it than that. And once you go back and you really look at it, you know, like I said, you know, summarizing it in terms of what actually happened, that was dark. And that was, you know, it's surprising. I mean, it's written off as people say is the worst movie ever made, but you actually take a time to step back and look at it. Is it really that bad? Really bad movies don't leave you without any type of substance. And the thing is, despite how bizarre it is, there is a level of substance, one we never thought we'd find with a film of this quality. And it's just one of those rare occasions where greatness came out of what many thought was trash. Right. And it's well, just it's amazing to look back and how it all played out. I could bring in the term, you know, death of the artist, uh, wherein, you know, once the work is out there, the artist has no control over how it's received. And, you know, you can't get a better example than Manos, the Hands of Fate. You know, it was lost, but then it was found. And what's become out of it is shocking. <laughs> in the Which best is- way, I mean. It, yeah, it's funny because that's actually, I'm looking at a poster of Manos the, right now and it says, it's shocking, Manos, the hands of fate. <laughs> well, this has been fun. You know, I love chatting with you guys and talking about our favorite movies. Uh, again, links in the show notes to everything we talked about and Steve's website as well, stsullivan.com. Check out what he's got going on with everything. And there will definitely be spotlighted a link to Anthony's Kickstarter campaign. Wish you the best of luck with that, man. Thank you kindly. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Huge thanks to Steve and Anthony for making this episode happen this time around. It was kind of a spur of the moment scheduling scramble to get both of them on. And then we even fought with Skype quite a bit to get the conversation started. But fortunately, the master uh, reached out from beyond the pale and helped us out and made sure everything worked out. So please check out Stephen D. Sullivan's site, stsullivan.com. However, I did just talk to Steve earlier and uh, the website's having some issues. So if you can't get into the website the first time around, just keep checking back. I'll also make sure there's a link in the show notes to Anthony's Kickstarter campaign or just go to kickstarter.com and look up Manos and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I think you'll find it again link in the show notes huge thanks to steve and anthony for being part of the show oh and uh, as an aside i know i was calling it i madman no the movie that christopher lee was in that was kind of a jekyll and hyde thing was i monster i played the trailer for that movie earlier in this episode to just kind of make up for the fact that i goofed during the actual recording it's my show Also, one more thing I want to bring up before we get to the end of the show. I mentioned Ultraman at one point during the Classic Five conversation. So the other day, I received two Blu-rays in the mail uh, through Amazon, and there were no notes in there. But it is the Blu-ray collection of the movie and the series Ultraman Orb and Ultraman I don't, I never know if it's Geed or Jeed. Bottom line is somebody sent them to me and I'm assuming it's somebody out there in Monster Kid Radio Land. Like I said, there were no notes included in there. So if you meant to include a note, Amazon, well, dropped the ball. If you didn't mean to include the note and just want to be an anonymous, uh, what is it? Anonymous advisor? What is the word? Secret admirer. That's it. Uh, We'll just call it that too. Either way, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
Rogers, Whitewood, Massachusetts. A young girl, a stranger, has come to Whitewood to do research. She has come, she thinks, to study. Leave Whitewood. Leave Whitewood tonight, I beg of you. Leave before it is too late. In spite of this warning, the girl lingers on. Hotel. The guests are over 300 years old. Human blood keeps them alive forever. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. that brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio if you can't tell from my voice i'm not feeling too great i actually had to cancel an upcoming recording so thank you for bearing with me as we kind of muddled our way through the ins and outs and all the interstitial bits i want to thank everybody for being part of the show this time around and you know i didn't mention this at the top of the show i probably should have david heath friend of the show he's got a new podcast it's being hosted over at the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos website. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that. The podcast is called Dugs with David Heath, and the first episode is out now. It's on episode zero, runs about 20 minutes or so, and kind of explains what David plans to be doing with it. It sounds interesting, and it involves goats. That's all I'm going to say. So best of luck to you, David. I hope the podcast takes off. I'm looking forward to hearing what you got lined up. I keep saying things will be linked in the show notes. Well, the show notes are over at monsterkidradio.net, and I'll make sure there's links to everything that we talked about here. If you've been following the website, you've already seen the link to the Santa Claus Conquers Monos the Hands of Fate Kickstarter project. But again, I'll make sure it's easy for you to find here, as well as our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MK. Are. I feel like I'm forgetting a lot of things, but like I said, I'm a little sick, got a head cold here, so I'm just going to kind of get through the rest of this and call it a night or afternoon or morning or whenever you happen to be listening to this thing. Our Twitter link is over on our website, our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Patreon. And stay tuned to our website because within the next week or so, it's been a little while since I've done this, I'm going to do a Monster Kid Radio listener poll. I really want to get your feedback about, well, the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see happen more in the future, that sort of thing. So stay tuned to the website for that as well. 
And as we've mentioned a few times during this episode, there will be links to Amazon to take you to that website to purchase, well, pretty much anything that you heard us talk about here on the show, because Monster Kid Radio is an affiliate. We get like a penny or two off of every sale. So if you're going to buy any of these things, well, please consider using our link to fill up your shopping cart. It really helps us out. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, returning to the show. It's been way too long since I've had this damn dirty geek on the show. It's Frank Dietz from the podcast, Damn Dirty Geeks, and, well, a handful of other things. And we're going to be talking about one of his absolute favorite movies. From the boiling rage of a world hurled back one million years comes... Trog, starring Joan Crawford, rated GP. Oh boy, that movie was a trip to watch, and it was a lot of fun to catch up with Frank and just chat it up about one of his favorite films. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming out in seven-ish days. Keep us locked. Keep us locked in. Keep keep yourself locked. Just stay subscribed to Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Professor Frenzy's bedtime story is copyright Jerry Green, 2019. And the song, Monos, the Hands of Fate, well, that belongs to the Seatopians. It's from their album, Underwater Ally, and you can find them at theseatopians.bandcamp.com. It's a $9 purchase to get the digital album, 11 tracks. They're all really cool. So check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Bye.